Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show today. I'm really excited to have as my guest, Chuck Drucker. Chuck has spent over 20 years in the life sciences, including global marketing positions at Amersham, AAI Pharma, and Covance. He's currently the Director of Client-Facing Operations and Alliance Management at Quest Diagnostics. He's also the President and Founder of the ACPLS. That's the Association of Commercial Professionals for the Life Sciences. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad you could be here. So um, for those who may not know about you, would you tell us just a little bit about your background so our listeners understand who it is that I'm talking to today? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for the the great introduction. Um, well, the the first half of my career, I sold and marketed chromatography, electrophoresis, molecular biology systems, and reagents, things like that. And then the second half of my career, I ended up on the drug development services, the manufacturing services side. A lot of people will call that CROs and CMOs. And again, I, I spent a lot of time in sales and marketing uh, for for those companies that you mentioned. Um, currently, as you, you describe my role uh, with Quest Diagnostics, it's actually the clinical trials division. So we're a central lab, uh, and again, our, our same customers, uh, you know, life scientists at pharma, biotech, academia, uh, government, etc. Nice. And so let's talk a little bit about the ACPLS. <clears throat> You've kind of described it to me. I'm getting a better feel for it. But tell us what problem are you trying to solve when you started this organization? Yeah, there there were two main problems we were trying to solve. Uh, first, before the ACPLS, there was no professional association that was dedicated to uh, networking, professional development, um, and education of commercial professionals like us uh, that work in the life sciences and and sell you know uh, products and services to the folks I mentioned earlier. Um, our clients they belong to lots of professional associations like ASBMB. Uh, AAPS, DIA, um, and there really was just nothing for us. So that that was the first reason was hey there there was a there was a gap there was there was no professional association for us. Uh, the second thing or the second sort of problem was when I talked to uh, my colleagues uh, in starting this thing up, and I, I did a whole bunch of market research. We did some you know surveys and some focus groups and things. Um, a theme arose around raising the bar for commercial professionals in our space. Um, you know, our employers certainly do some some work on, on on developing their sales and marketing people, but our research certainly identified that there was a need for us to band together and also raise the bar, you know, together. So I'm sure you're going to give us some specific examples, and I'm hoping this is the right time. But it, we had a previous conversation, and you had mentioned an article in the Harvard Business Review, and you were kind enough to share that with me, as well as some related articles. And I will certainly link to those in the show notes. But I think you were suggesting that the concept of employee engagement uh, was an area where the organization could help its members. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So, so the concept is, is pretty straightforward in, in the article that, that you'll post. Uh, there's a chain of events that, that can lead to improved profits, which are what, what the companies that we work for generally are, are striving towards. But that chain of events starts with satisfied employees, and satisfied employees are far more productive and engaged, and those engaged employees provide better service, which leads to higher customer satisfaction, loyalty, growth, and profit. That's sort of the this profit chain uh, that, that the article talks about. Um, so uh, that's it's great to have that vision, but putting it into action isn't always so simple. Um, so you've probably seen this. Many companies have instituted employee engagement surveys to, to measure employee engagement, and then they build programs to, to improve engagement after that. And then there's the uh, customer experience angle. There's a whole you know, field now of customer experience marketing. You guys may have heard of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Uh, you know, and their whole goal is to advance, customer ex- to advance customer experience management practices. And then you, know, you have so many companies that have dedicated resources to customer experience from you know, every single interaction that happens. They're starting to look at those things and, and make them as best as they can be. Um, but but I would say from a commercial professional perspective, perhaps the, the most compelling research that I've seen uh, on this idea of, of customer loyalty was the work done by the conference executive board. Uh, they're the ones that uh, wrote the book, The Challenger Sale. And what they found was the, the largest contribution by far uh, to customer loyalty stemmed from the purchasing experience, from the sales experience. In fact, uh, their data showed that this contribution was larger than the brand uh, and the product and service quality combined. Uh, so, again, this idea of the experience that our customers get through buying our products and services, that's the biggest driver of customer loyalty. So if you kind of think about that, if your commercial team, if your sales and marketers uh, aren't engaged uh, at the beginning of that sort of profit chain, there is no way that you're going to be able to drive that customer loyalty. And so you know, from an association perspective, we also saw that Yes, you know, employers should work really hard to get uh, employees engaged, but there's something that we all have in common uh, as commercial professionals in the life sciences, and, and we should be engaged and excited about what we do to help our customers, which eventually, and in our case, uh, you know, help, help humankind as well. Right, and that was one of the things I noticed in, in the article was that um, having a company where individuals were proud of the things they produced was a big factor um, in employee engagement. And the other one, and I think this relates a little bit to why the touch at the the point of sale and and that whole process is so important, is um, their perceived ability to solve customer problems. It seems like employees get a large degree of satisfaction when they have the freedom to do that. And if and the opposite, I'm sure, must be true. If they don't feel like they can solve problems, then it must be pretty frustrating. Is that my question there is, can you give an example of that for sales? And what are your thoughts on that for marketing? Right, right, right. So there, there's a couple of things that come to mind. But the first thing that came to mind is organizational structure. So depending on how you structure your organization, uh, your employees will have much more or much less autonomy. Uh, I'm in a pretty good situation personally right now in that 
uh, for the clients that I'm accountable for, I have the sales resources, the project management resources, and the data management resources. Uh, that's pretty unique. The buck sort of stops with me for a lot of the customer issues, and they never have to get escalated because we can solve them right within our own team. Uh, in another uh, orientation, in another place that I worked, we often had to get multiple leaders to solve issues that sort of spanned different organizations or different parts of our organization. Um, so I think that's a, a really, a really good example of how uh, you know solving problems can be affected by your organizational structure. I like that. And it's easy to understand it. The way I would describe it is it takes the friction out of the process because you are a single decision maker and um, you're not negotiating between different um, interest groups, if you will, to to try to address something. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, um, a few years ago when I was with Amersham, uh, they trained every uh, leader on something called the, the, the um, Levinson Principles of Accountable Leadership. And it was a framework of how you were supposed to behave to uh, in, you know, improve processes, but also how you're supposed to behave with respect to others. So if you have an issue with someone, you should address them directly. And if it doesn't work out, you should both feel free to go to your manager. That was one idea. But the, the biggest thing that the Levinson principles affected was exactly what I said. It was changing the organizational structure so that decisions could move closer to customers. Nice. I, I really like that. Um, so in our previous conversation, you talked about, for example, and this relates a little bit to what we just talked about, but kind of broadening employees' view of the whole process. So uh, the one I'm thinking about is marketing communications people, for example, sitting in on sales calls with customers and taking trips with salespeople just to get a feel for what their customers who – Really, the Marcom customers, to, to a degree, are the sales team besides all the external prospects. Are there any other examples you can give where uh, members might expand uh, their views of their own businesses? Yeah. Um, I, I think I have an example that we all can relate to. Uh, in whatever company that you're with, when they hire a, a new leader that's coming from the outside and doesn't really know your company or your business – at first, when you talk to that person, if you get a chance before they're up to speed, they really have no idea. And they ask a lot of questions, which is great. But they are exposed to customers immediately. They're executives. That's the way that it goes. And within a very short amount of time, they get it. They understand the issues. They hear what the customers are saying. If we could just expose more of our teams, whether that's marketing communications or, quite frankly, sometimes it's even the salespeople who don't necessarily get um, fed the information of other things that are going on with, with the company. If we could do that, just like we do that in a standard way for executives, uh, we could get our commercial teams to, to function uh, much, much more effectively. So, so I think, Chris, that's my first example. The, the second one um, – I think is is a little bit more broad than your individual company. So let let's say that you know you're focused on genomics products today. Uh, you could be a marketer, you could be a salesperson, but in a few years from now, you may find yourself working for a CRO, uh, selling or marketing genomic services. I have a couple colleagues from Amersham that ended up at CROs that are doing that kind of thing now. Um, so you know they're now marketing a service that's utilizing those same products that they sold all those years ago. Um, so the point is, shouldn't we all become more knowledgeable about the drug discovery process, the drug development process, quite frankly, the manufacturing process? 
Uh, and those genomics products that you're selling into Discovery today, um, someday will be used in a clinical trial. And perhaps someday after that will be used as a companion diagnostic. So even though you're working for a company that sells products, shouldn't you learn about what it's like to sell services too? Fantastic. I, I'm not sure I ever would have thought of that, but it makes total sense. And just an opportunity for not only people to improve their career immediately and kind of get a bigger picture, but also as a looking at the ACPLS as somewhat of a development organization, an opportunity to see different possibilities for yourself in, in the industry. Yeah. And I think if you talk to people that have been, you know, uh, in different roles uh, for 20 or so years, I, I think, they would probably have never guessed the twists and turns that that their career took. You know, you uh, I know when I started uh, years and years ago at Pharmacia Biotech, uh, involved with chromatography and electrophoresis, I, I didn't think that I would be at Quest Diagnostics uh, handling central lab services. It, it never would have occurred to me. Yeah, and honestly, when I was in school, I I don't think I would have imagined any of the things I've done since I left. Um. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and then probably again, but um, I want to talk about this other thing that was in the article, and that was about customer ownership. And so I I realized that many companies, uh, the ones I've worked for, have a stable of key users. They call them gurus or key opinion leaders that speak about their own research that they do using a certain company's products. And it got got me to thinking about could we market differently to this group of customer owners to make them feel more a part of the company? And for example, as I'm always thinking about content is could we actually develop content for a customer owner persona? Would that, would there be value in that and giving them sort of some premium level of information and as if people don't have enough to do already, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think some some folks in our space have have done that um, already, um, and I think you know sometimes you you can hear the term you know sort of customer retention marketing or retention marketing uh, related to that. But the first the first thing I thought about when you uh, when you raised this was yeah you can you can design specific content for them and I think that that would be great. But wouldn't it be also great if that content was really interactive? Um, in other words, you know, think of it almost like an advisory board, right? When we start to think about launching a new a new product or service, we'll often form a customer advisory board and we'll run ideas by them. Uh, you know, they may uh, often be our first beta testers. But I am aware of some folks within our industry that are are they have uh, sort of an online customer advisory board of those folks that really like those products and services and they are engaging them uh quite often with surveys with new ideas inviting them to things so yeah i think i think it's a it's a it's a great idea i yeah i really appreciated the article because although i was aware of that kind of thing the the article really made it stand out to me that there are people in every industry for any kind of product who take great satisfaction in feeling like they have a hand in what the next version will be. So they're not just customers. They, they really do feel like they are influencing the direction of a company without actually having to work there. And it's um, so pointing that out explicitly, I thought what has a huge amount of value. And sometimes uh, those people do end up working for your company <laughs> yeah. as well. 
<laughs> You'd probably like that. Um, okay, so moving on to leadership um, as an opportunity. Um, I recently had a another podcast with Taya Argueta, who's one of my former bosses, and uh, part of that podcast was talking about leadership in Marcom and the importance of marketing communications, sort of taking a leadership role with a couple of purposes. One, of course, to produce better um, communications, but also to get them out of the mode of being a production unit and more into the mode of a strategy unit. Um, so you you mentioned some opportunities for people to develop leadership skills within the context of ACPLS. And so I'd love it if you would talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and I do agree that um, there, there are those times when the, the marketing communications team is, is like that production group. But, you, you know, I've, I've fortunately had a chance to work closely with uh, those folks. And if you give them a chance, they, they can produce amazing things. Um, so, so the ACPLS, right, it, it's a, a nonprofit, a volunteer association. Um, and so we have lots of different volunteer opportunities where folks can lead teams. So there's your sort of idea of uh, some, some you know, leadership opportunities and also participate on teams. Um, examples could be our annual meeting team, right? We have program chairs. Uh, we have kind of track chairs, if you will, folks that are looking after certain topics. Um, you know, we, we, we even have people that are taking the lead on certain uh, presentation areas. So, you know, if we're going to have the annual meeting and we're going to talk about social media, well, there's sort of a person that's taking the lead to pull that great, you know, that great presentation together. Um, there's uh, the newsletter editorial board. The, there's always the webinar series. Um, there are there are also programs that are looking for leaders. Uh, so, something that uh, many of our members have talked about that we should do together uh, is to have a certification and training program. Um, they've also talked a little bit more about how the ACPLS can be kind of the, the, the place to go if you're looking for a job, if you're, again, if you're a commercial professional in our space, uh, or if you are, um, you know, someone who's posting a job and, and trying to find people. Um, we've talked about uh, having more trade show presence. Again, you know, could we find a, a person to lead that effort and, uh, and coordinate uh, an, an ACPLS trade show presence? Uh, we also uh, heard a lot about regional meetings. People would say, hey, can't we just have a lunch and learn in Boston or a lunch and learn in San Francisco or, you know, different things like that. So I think there's lots of opportunities uh, for leadership. Um, I would just add, though, that sometimes when we do our day jobs, um, there are not always development opportunities for us to be involved with. Uh, you know, maybe our manager uh, doesn't consider us for a particular project because there's other team members that have more seniority. Um, so I've seen this now a, a few times where some leaders within our industry have asked their own team members to join ACPLS projects as a part of their development plan to, to help them develop specific skills. So, um, you know, if you, if you just sort of think about the association as your association, it's your industry association, it's nonprofit, it can be what you make of it. Um, a whole bunch of people now have found opportunities to grow and develop from it. Great. Um, so you mentioned, I'm just going to pick on one thing you mentioned in there and it, it went back to our previous conversation. So you talked about, um, your annual meeting, which um, I'm sure delivers a huge amount of value for everybody. And I think you mentioned that 
you learn something in the first one, and I'm really just trying to give a picture of the organization um, about um, two different populations of attendees at the at the meeting and their different experience levels. So would you talk about what that was and what has come about as a result? Yes. During our first annual meeting, uh, we had a really nice mix of highly experienced people and then, you know, folks with less experience. Uh, we had, um, you know, VPs of commercial, you know, sales and marketing. We had, you know, presidents of companies. Um, and then we also had people that just came out of the lab and had their first marketing job and really had no idea how to approach their own job and, and didn't feel like they were getting all that they could get from inside their companies. Um, so that first meeting worked really well. You know, there were a lot of great interactions between these two groups of people, right? The experienced folks were more than happy to share their ideas. Uh, but the challenge was that this first meeting took place in one single room. So a lot of that interaction was happening at the networking breaks and things. Um, as a result of that experience, our second meeting included a series of small breakout sessions where some of those really experienced people now were going to lead a discussion about a specific topic in much more in-depth. And it was a much smaller, tighter group where you know you could get a, a lot of questions and answers uh, asked. And in fact, you, know, you saw a lot of people just trading business cards because they really wanted to get some help uh, after, uh, after the meeting. So we do plan to use that, that same format of those smaller breakouts where you know, experts uh, as well as sort of novices can, can get together. And, and we'll use that for our next meeting uh, this fall. So I might be putting you on the spot on this, but do you know the dates for that show? <laughs> Yeah, um, I I, uh, I don't yet. Our meeting planner left me a message literally today to say, "Hey, I've looked at a whole bunch of uh, sites, but we are looking at the Bay Area for uh, for our 2015 meeting, and you know, September October is, is the planning ah. dates right now." All right, great. Um, well, when it, if if you find out soon, um, I will include that in the show notes as well. But certainly, people know to look out for it, and we will link to um, ACPLS directly in the show notes so you can get all the information you would like to get there. The URL is acp-ls.org. And uh, I want to really thank Chuck for joining me today. And I really appreciate all those fantastic insights. Um, that, And honestly, things that I would have never thought of um, because my experience in the industry has been fairly narrow. But um, before we go, I just want to ask if there's anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up. Yeah, well, first, uh, I want to thank you, Chris, for, for pulling this whole thing together. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about ACPLS. And I want to leave you with a thought about networking. Um, if it wasn't for ACPLS, we would never have met. Uh, and I wouldn't have had such an excellent experience in working with you on a project that is completely tangential to my day job. Uh, so this project of, of you know, uh, doing this, um, this podcast really has nothing to do with my day job. So as a result, I am way more likely to recommend you for a job if one should come up or consider you for uh, my next content-oriented project or recommend you to a friend for that matter. Uh, the point is that our customers have been networking through professional associations for a really, really long time, and now we have that same opportunity with ACPLS. Well, uh, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. I uh, have enjoyed my interactions with the ACPLS. Um, I appreciate being contacted by Alan Gerstein for um, the opportunity to do a, 
couple of blog posts last year. And again, I would not have known so much about the organization had that not happened. And of course, this has been hugely fun for me. And um, again, just thank you very much for participating. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Science Marketing Radio. If you enjoyed it, a rating or review on iTunes is always much appreciated. Or you can leave a comment on the podcast at words, the number two, wow.com. Have a great week, everybody.